When I was growing up, my grandmother, my mom's mom, uh, would cook for the family. Now, grandmother and granddaddy had six children, and those six children, they all got married, and all those married folk had children like me. I was a grandchild. I was one of the older grandchildren, um, one of the smarter grandchildren, I think, but <laughs> one of the most humble, one of the most humble. No. Uh, we, we would all get together, and it was those special occasions where uh, you would try to fit um, 30 or 40 people in a two-bedroom house, one bathroom. You try to fit them all. The kitchen was smaller than this section of the stage, um, but grandmother would begin to cook. And it was always Sunday uh, lunch, always Sunday lunch when we had the big feast. And uh, she would start cooking and uh, she would have ham that was special. I don't know what she did, but it was special. She'd have roast. She'd have potatoes. She'd have fried okra, or it was more of a baked okra. She'd have other stuff like un- non-essential things, green beans. <laughs> She'd have homemade biscuits. Mmm. She'd have things that she pulled from the garden. They had a garden in the back, and uh, they would uh, can things if, if it was out of, you know, couldn't pull it straight up. You'd have corn, uh, silver queen corn. And we'd pull that down. Oh, my goodness gracious. I just, tomatoes, fresh tomatoes. I don't like tomatoes anymore, and I like green beans. But they said that they were really good tomatoes. <laughs> and chocolate pie. Oh, my goodness. Then they had other things like apple pie or pecan pie, (laughs) chocolate pie. It was just, it was an amazing thing. You would have to line up and you'd get your plate and you'd go through and you'd get all the things that, that were there and you would sit down. You didn't have enough room on your plate, but you piled it up as high as you, as high as it'd go and you'd sit down and and you'd take a fort. You wouldn't know where to begin. You wouldn't know where to end, but you'd just start digging in. And everything you ate was amazing. Everything you ate was satisfying. Everything, everything, even the green beans. It was a banquet. It was a feast. Over the past several weeks, we've been looking at the Bible. And my hope and prayer is that you and I would understand that every morsel of God's Word is life-giving bread that will nourish our soul. Every morsel of God's Word, from Genesis to Revelation, is life-giving bread that nourishes our soul. That's what Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, the text that we're going to start with today. Now, if you're a guest of our stay, I want you to understand, normally I preach through a passage, and then the next week we're in a similar passage, and then the next week we're in a similar passage. Today, I'm doing a different kind of message. I'm starting with Matthew 4, 4, and then we're going to look at 
why the Bible give us words for living. Now, that's the claim I'm making. I'm making this claim that the Bible, which is the absolute truth of God, which is God-breathed, which uh, gets to the heart of you and me and knows us inside and out, that the Bible gives us words by which we live. It's one of the core values we have as a church. We treasure God's Word as the rule for living and believing, for life and faith. And so as we look at God's Word, I want us to see how Jesus viewed Scripture and then learn why He viewed Scripture that way. Now, here's what we have in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus has just been baptized. God speaks from heaven, says, Behold, my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Scripture says that Jesus, in Mark chapter 2, it says Jesus was cast out into the wilderness to be tested of the devil. Matthew 4, it says something similar, but a little bit not as direct as Mark did it. And uh, so Jesus is put in the wilderness to be tested of the devil, to be tempted by the devil. Now, the temptation was this. The devil was trying to get Jesus off God's plan and get Jesus on his plan. That was, that was the whole drama, those 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. And the devil, who is sneaky and, and understands the way people are, understands the way you and I are, he uses things within the framework of our particular setting to try to move us off of God's plan and move us onto his plan. And he couches it in saying, well, it's not really my plan, it's your plan. But if it's not God's plan, it's the devil's plan, just so to speak. So here the devil is with Jesus. Jesus has been fasting 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, he's tired, he's weary. So G, uh, the devil says, okay, here's what I want you to do, Jesus. I want you to get on my plan. Now in the context of Matthew 4, 4, Jesus, uh, the devil says, and this is the way he works. He says, well, I know you're hungry. I know you're hungry, so why don't you do this? Jesus, why don't you command these stones to become bread so that you can nourish yourself. And in response to that test, Jesus quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. And here's what he says. He says, for it is written, man or woman shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So Jesus ramps things up. He says, well, I may be hungry in my body, but that's not, that bread, physical bread, is not what's going to give me life. What's going to give me life are the uh, being obedient to the words of God. Not just some of the words that I like to be obedient to, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. As we look at this verse, Matthew 4, 4, it is written, Deuteronomy 8, 3, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Here's what we begin to understand, that Jesus tells us and teaches us that it's every word from Genesis to Revelation in the Bible, every word, the stuff we like in Genesis to Revelation, the stuff we don't like in Genesis to Revelation, the things that we can explain 
in Genesis to Revelation, the things we can't explain in Genesis to Revelation, the things that we understand in Genesis to Revelation, and the things we don't understand in Genesis to Revelation, every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, Genesis to Revelation, every word is the life-giving bread that will nourish our soul and cause us to live well. Today, God's Word, and this is, this is so important, God's Word, the Bible, is the life-giving bread we need that will nourish our soul and, to, and will cause us to live well if we follow it, if we obey it, if we treasure it. Um, and, and if you're a follower of Jesus, you know this. You know it because it is the Bible that showed you your lostness and the why of the emptiness of your life because you were separated from God by your sin. And it taught you that there was nothing that you can do to bridge the distance between you and God. Your sin, my sin, separated us from God. There's nothing I can do. You can't be Baptist enough to get to God. You can't be Catholic enough to get to God. You can't be even Pentecostal enough to get to God on your own. Your sin has separated. You can't be good enough. You can't be moral enough. There's nothing that you and I, God does not work on a karma system that says, well, you've done some bad stuff, but if you do enough good stuff, everything's going to be okay. That's not how it works. God's word tells us that because we have sinned, we are dead on the inside and we are eternally separated from God and we can't fix that. But God, because he has loved sinners like you and me, because he has loved us with such a great and and magnanimous, gracious love, he sends Jesus on a mission. And that mission was not to turn stones into bread, but to turn dead people and make them alive. His mission was to take the punishment that your sin and my sin demanded of us. Sin's penalty is death. The Bible says so. And God sent Jesus to take that penalty upon himself. Jesus lived righteously in the sight of God, and yet he died on a cross. Why? So that he might pay the penalty for sin's debt that you and I owed. The Bible tells us so. And not only was he killed for our transgressions, our sin against God, but God raised him from the dead so that we might have a chance at a new life through faith in him. Here's what the Bible has taught us. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you know this because this is what led you across the chasm that your sin had created into the arms of a loving God. That if we will turn from our sin and trust in Jesus, we will be rescued. Jesus built the bridge over which we can travel into the arms of God if we trust him. His death is payment for our sin, my sin. 
His resurrection is an opportunity of new life. I'm forgiven, and I'm now part of God's family. The Bible tells me so because I've placed my faith in Jesus. And if you're a follower of Jesus, the reason you know that, the reason you knew how to admit you're a sinner, believe that Jesus is God's son, they died on the cross for your sin, that he was raised from the dead three days later, that you commit your life to him. You commit to him as the Lord of every aspect. The reason you knew to do that is because the Bible tells me so. The Bible is God's words. And every word in the Bible is from God to teach us the way to live. It is a banquet upon which we feast and find fulfillment. So what I want us to do is I want us to look at how the Bible are, is the words for living, the, the living part. Why should we live by the Bible? Living by the Bible, by the way, means that we're not going to live according to our opinions. God's word, bigger than my opinion. It means that we're not going to live by my desires, my inclinations, my pleasure. God's word, bigger, leads to better than my inclinations, my pleasure. God's word means that we're going to live not according to what my friends say, not according to what my politics say, not according to what my finances say, but I'm going to live according to what God has said in his word because God's word, every morsel of it, from Genesis to Revelation, is life-giving. And the only way to live well is to follow, to treasure, to cherish God's word. So keep your finger in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. Flip over to Psalm 119. We're going to spend some time in Psalm 119. The first verse I want you to look at is Psalm 119. It's a familiar verse, verse 11. The reason God's word is life-giving bread to nourish our soul, the reason every morsel of God's word um, is essential for us to live well is because God's word is the compass that sets and corrects our course. God's word is the compass that sets our course and corrects our course. Psalm 119, verse 11. Your word, God's word, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Simple verse, but powerful in its implication for us. God's word is the compass that sets the course for our living. I, don't, I know that most of us have, have uh, lived, uh, we're living in the city now. Um, even if you live in the country, there's street lights, there's headlights, there's porch lights around you. Maybe you have never experienced being stuck in the middle of a forest on a cloudy night where the stars are not shining and the moon can't be seen, where there are no headlights, there are no porch lights, there are no street lights, 
for 25 miles, and you're in the middle of the forest, blanketed by trees with thick leaves and laurel bushes everywhere, and you are there in the middle and the night has fallen. It's a starless, moonless night. There are no lights anywhere. And you have to get out. You have to get home. If you don't have a compass, you don't have a hope. A compass is what helps you navigate the darkness in the wilderness. And friends, you and I, as, as people living in the 21st century, we may have porch lights and headlights and street lights, but we are still, every day that we wake up, living in a darkness. We don't know what's going to happen to us. We don't know how to take our next step. We don't know which direction to go. We don't know. And if anybody says, I know for sure what I'm supposed to do, and they've just made it up in their own head, don't follow them. I'm serious. Don't follow them. The only reliable compass is God. And he's shown us what we must do through his word. And if we're following people that don't follow the book, then we're following the wrong person. Okay, y'all need to dig down on that one. Some of us are selling our soul to people that don't follow the Bible, and we're acting like they're the savior of the world, and the reality is they're not. Stop pretending like they are. We may have to vote for them, but we don't treat them like they're gods or demagogues. Or we may decide it's better not to vote for them. See, the reality is we have God's Word that directs us through the darkness of the confusion of our world every day. It is a compass. It sets the course for us. But it also keeps us from getting off course. Do you realize, uh, and, and even the, the point that I put up there, it says God's word is the compass that corrects our course. Now, I could have said that God's word is the compass that sets our course. Absolutely true. I've said that. But the reason I put correct our course is because I know for me, I am so weak and so frail that so often as a follower of Jesus, I get off course and I think I'm going okay. But friends, we need to understand that Psalm 119 verse 11 says, I don't want to sin against God. Why? Because sin is destructive. Sin will destroy. Sin leads to despair. Sin is not some minor malady in the soul of a person that is a uh, 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 filled with complexity about life, sin is an offense against a holy God that will destroy us, that deadens our soul and destroy, uh, 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 takes us on a detour away from hope and purpose and joy and peace. And yet so often I sin. Do you? Oh my goodness, I, I want to avoid it. And then if I haven't avoided it, I want to know it so I can get back on course. 
Sin is the opposite of doing God's will. When we are not walking according to God's will, we are headed for disaster. So if we do our relationships that, and, and they're not in line with God's will, there is disaster waiting. And if we do our finances and they're not aligned with God's will, then there is disaster waiting. And if we do our work and it's not aligned with God's will, there is disaster waiting. And if we do our school and it's not aligned with God's will, there is disaster waiting. You might say, well, I'm going to say, well, how do I know what God wants? Ding, 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 the compass. Okay? God's word is the compass that sets our course and corrects our course. Secondly, God's word is the light that guides our way. Every morsel of God's word is essential to live well because it's a compass to set and correct our course and because it is the light that guides our way. Psalm 119, verse 105. If you were in vacation Bible school in the Baptist tradition, there was a point, if, you were, if you're old enough, there was a point where you memorized, recited this verse um, during vacation Bible school. Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You can say it, but do you believe it? See, we know we believe that God's word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path when we cherish, treasure, follow, obey God's word. Imagine the scenario. You're in the deep darkness. It's cloudless. I mean, it's a starless, moonless night. Uh, You're in the middle of a deep, dense forest. I'm imagining the Smoky Mountains, but you're in the middle of that deep, dense forest, and you want to get home. If you don't have the compass, you won't make it. Can I also add, if you don't have the light, you won't make it. You won't know if you're going uphill, downhill, If you're getting ready to walk over a cliff, if you can't see your hand in front of your face, you might know you're going north, but you don't know that you're about to slide down a hill into a crevasse. And might I suggest that that is metaphorical, but the reality is you and I wake up every morning and we're walking in deep darkness of the unknown. We're facing things we don't know how to navigate. We don't know what to do. We don't even know what's going to hit us today. We're walking in deep darkness. But God in his grace has given us his word so that whatever we face, we have a lamp to give us light to guide us on our way. You don't know what to do. Good news. God does. And he teaches us what to do. You look at God's word and you discover that his word uh, directs our steps and, and, and teaches us the good decisions to make. That's Psalm 119, verse 66. It, he, he causes us to learn the good decisions to make. In verse 98, God's word makes us wise. 
makes us wise. In Psalm 119, verses 99 and 100, uh, it says, I know more than the ancient people because I've got your word. Ain't no teacher can teach me what your word can teach me. I've got all the counselors I need for practical insight and discernment in living. God's word. It's God's word. These are the words of God to us. Every morsel of God's word is essential to navigate the unknown that we face every day and to do it for the good of our life, but also for the glory of God. God's word is a lamp, but it's also a compass. So if I decide the lamp shows me that this is the path to take, but I decide not to take it, and I'm going to go left instead of right, God's word corrects my course, says, Eric, you keep walking down that path. Guess what? Disaster. So get it right. I, I, I was talking with someone earlier this week. I'm a terrible counselor. Any counselor would tell you I'm a terrible counselor. I'm, I'm terrible. Here's, here, here, at, one of the reasons I'm terrible is because I, I, I'm probably not empathetic enough and, and, and I'll listen, but then I'll give you a solution real quick. And so y'all might like that, but really that, that counseling is more in depth than that. And, and, and I care deeply. It's just, I'm a to-do list guy. Uh, I was talking to a guy this week and just going through this. I said, you know, have you ever seen Bob Newhart? Now y'all know Bob Newhart. Y'all know, if you don't know Bob Newhart, go to Google, do Bob Newhart counseling. Just plug that in. And it gives you a snippet of uh, a little sketch that Bob Newhart did. He was an actor. He had a, he had a, a show way back when. And so it, this is a sketch where Bob Newhart is counseling and somebody comes in and says, uh, uh, doctor, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm struggling. I keep doing this thing and, and it, it's really messing up my life. And Bob Newhart says, well, I've, I've got a solution for you. He said, doctor, ha- you've got a solution. Yes, I've got a solution for you. I, I keep doing this thing and I don't know. And, and, and doc- uh, Newhart says, well, I've got a solution. Stop it. Counseling is so much more than that. But when it comes to God's Word, many of us are walking down a path that's going to lead off the crevasse into our own disaster, and God's Word says, stop it. And we need to obey. The good news is we have the Holy Spirit of God residing within us that empowers us to obey the Word of God. We've got supernatural power. God The Spirit dwells within us to equip us and enable us to understand what the compass is saying, to see the direction that the light is guiding us to walk and empowering us to stop it or to start it. God's Word is the light to guide our way. Uh, Flip over to Ephesians chapter 6, and and, uh, again, this is not all that the Bible has to say about the, word of, about the Word of God and why it is life-giving nourishment for our soul, but it is important for us to, to see it. In Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul is closing out his letter to the church at Ephesus, and, and he's giving them final instructions, and part of it has to do with God's Word. See, God's Word 
Every morsel of God's word is essential to live well because it's the compass to correct our course. It's the light to guide our way. And thirdly, it is the sword that protects our life. So in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, let me just read verse 10 and 11. It says, finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles, the sneakery, the strategery, the wiles of the devil. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Verse 13, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day. And having done all, stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take, verse 17 now, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit is literally the weapon that God gives us to fight back the devil. It's what Jesus did in Matthew 4.4. Matthew 4.4, Jesus said, okay, devil, you want me to do this, but guess what? Here's what Deuteronomy 8.3 says. All the armor of God is defensive except for the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Word of, the God, Word of God is that um, instrument that we use, that God has given us, to fight back the sneakery of the devil. It's our weapon, our sword, to protect us, to do battle. I, I don't know if you understand how important, how essential it is to immerse your life in God's Word, to, to immerse your thinking in God's Word. I, I, I memorize Scripture. I've been memorizing Scripture for a long time. And it is not a portrait Memorizing Scripture is not a picture of me being, oh, he's, he's spiritual. I memorize Scripture because I'm weak. I memorize Scripture because I can't do battle on my own. I memorize Scripture. I remember uh, Edie and I first started dating, and, and, and uh, I took these little sticky notes. I thought sticky notes were the bee's knees. They were the best thing that I'd ever seen. I mean, they'd just come out. Yay! Right? So I took these sticky notes, and I would write scriptures on those sticky notes, and I'd put them on my sun visor in my car, on the dash, and in my, in my apartment, on the mirrors. I would put them everywhere, and I would just, everywhere I looked, I was memorizing scripture. And the reason is because I wanted to walk, I wanted to stand, right? I wanted to stand strong. But I was so weak, and I'm still so weak. I need the Word of God to do battle against the wily sneakery of the devil. And you do too. And you might say, well, I can't memorize Scripture like you do, Eric. 
Of course you can. And some of y'all memorize um, the latest stats and statistics on sporting events, mainly so that you can make a little dough on the online betting, gambling stuff. I know it's Baptist betting, by the way. If you are betting on the Baptist betting site, whatever it's called, there is a, you can, some of y'all are questioning. Here's what you can, you get on your phone and there is this online betting that you can do and nobody has to know. It's just you and the bank account and, and we've got Baptists that are doing it. If you make money off that, 20% tithe, that's the law. It's the law. It's not, you won't find that in the Bible. That's not in the Bible. Thus says Eric Thomas, that is the law. 20% on those filthy lucre winnings. Anyway, filthy lucre, that's going to appeal to some of y'all. That's First Peter if you want to. Anyway, so you can, you can quote statistics to me. Some of y'all baseball nuts, y'all are crazy. Y'all know statistics of people that haven't played in 30 years. Uh, right before the uh, uh, earlier worship gathering, one of our members came up, Virginia uh, Morton, uh, came up, Virginia and Randy went to the Smoky Mountains this past week. She said, oh, pastor, I know how we just thought of you, how beautiful it was, how lovely it was. We looked at the streams and they were so gorgeous. We thought that's where Eric ought to fish. And I said, yeah, that's great. Can I tell you, uh, uh, the only problem is, and then I began to quote statistics. I said, the only problem is that, that the water's low right now. In fact, the temperature is around 69 degrees, 69.2 degrees. And really, if you're going to catch trout, you really can't go over 67, 68 degrees. But the water temperature is 69.2 degrees, and the water level is really low. Normal water uh, level is about 350 cubic feet per second in the Smoky Mountains and the Little River. And, and right now, it's about 89 uh, 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 to 90 uh, cubic feet per second. So it's really, really low. And so uh, uh, high water temperature. But the good news is because it's low, I know that the Isonychia nymphs are coming off and has slate drakes. And, and, and so really, that's really cool because I, I could take a size 14 uh, parachute Adams and, and then tie off a Smoky Mountain Blackbird soft tacker about 18 inches below that. And I could throw that anywhere in the park and I'd be catching. And you see what I'm saying? Man, I can, I can rattle those things off. But can I, for every circumstance, every situation, can I rattle off the living, life-giving words of God for what I'm facing, for what comes at me? You might say, I can't memorize. Yes, you can. But the older we get, and I've learned this, I'm 56 now, I, I, the older I get, the more I have to work at it. It doesn't come as easy. Synapses aren't connecting all the way across. So I have to let go some other information, and I need to take hold the life-giving information, because this is the sword that God gives me to do battle, so I can stand. You want to stand. God's Word is the sword to protect our life. Every morsel of God's Word is essential to live, to live well, because it's the compass to correct our course, it's the light to guide our way, it's the sword to protect our life, and there's more. 
And I won't go as fast as I did last week. Last week, apparently, I, I went really, I listened to it, and I did. I went really, 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 really fast. So I'm going to go really, 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 really slow. But I want, you to, I want you to listen. You might have to go back and listen to it, or you get write this down. Psalm 119, verse 52, tells us that God's Word comforts us. Psalm 119, verse 25, tells us that when we are drowning in dust, I mean, you're parched, your soul is, I mean, you're just dying. God's Word gives us life. Psalm 119, verse 45, says that God's Word sets us at liberty so that we can live in freedom. Psalm 119, verse 170, tells us that God's Word delivers us from danger. Psalm 119, verse 28, tells us that God's Word causes us to stand. Psalm 119, verse 111, tells us that God's Word produces delight and joy in our life. Psalm 119, verse 89, tells us that God's Word never ends and God's Word never ends fails. So son and daughter of the living God made that way through faith in Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, why in the world are you not treasuring God's word? To submit to his word, to obey his word. Brother and sister in Christ, can I encourage you to join me on a journey every day? God, I submit myself to your word. And if I don't want to, will you humble me so that I submit to your word? So I know what to do, know where to go, and know how to do it. For my good and for your glory. It's all, if you're a follower of Jesus, it's real simple. Obey the Bible and find life. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I know it doesn't make sense, but I can encourage you today that the Bible tells you how you can become part of God's family. And if that's your desire, I invite you to find one of us, one of the ministers. We'll be at the Next Step Station in the uh, Live the Mission Center. Find us and say, I need to know how to become a follower of Jesus. Can you help me? Yes, we can help you. If you are a follower of Jesus, obey God's Word. Plant it in your heart. Be ready at all times, just as Jesus was. And you will live well. You bow your heads with me, please. God in heaven, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the power of it. I pray that you would pierce our hearts with our own, uh, pierce our hearts with your spirit so that we might see our own pride or lack of submission. If there's any here who uh, 
uh, have not yet become followers of Jesus, I pray that you draw them to yourself right now. Give them the courage to say um, to one of our ministers or to me, um, I need to become a follower of Jesus. How can I do it? I pray, oh God, for your people gathered here, your sons and daughters. I pray that we would obey your life-giving word and feast on the fulfillment that your, that your word delivers to us.